Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Welcome to episode 600 of the Bitcoin and podcast. It is the 8th of June, 2022. And like I said, man, episode 600 of Bitcoin and I can't market myself for shit. You know what other people do? They run contests. They have Twitter contests and apparently that works. You know why I don't do it? Because honestly, what is it? What does it matter? Are you going to get anything out of a contest except some cheap piece of junk that I, you know, go find somewhere and say, if you follow me and and retweet this 10 times, I will give you a pocket knife. No, but it's a good knife. It's a Swiss knife. It's It's a Swiss army knife. Oh my God. It's so good. No, I can't bring myself to do that shit, guys. I just, I just freaking can't. All right. So I know everybody else does it. I know it works. I don't understand why, but apparently it works. It not only works in for Bitcoin podcasts, it works for other podcasts that are in completely different genres. And I still, to this day, coming up on, I guess we'll be coming up on four years, I don't know, sometime this coming fall or something like that, I still cannot bring myself to run a contest or do all the stupid shit that's over there in my social media marketing book because it just feels so cringe. So if you want to help a brother out, could you be my marketing department for me? Could you tweet the show out? Could you let your family and friends know about it? That if they want to, if they want to get the scoop on the news, more or less on a daily basis. I know that I'm, I'm a little spotty right now, but again, I, I'm, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life right now, and it's going to be really hard to do an everyday show during the summer until the 1,500-mile move to, <laughs> to eastern Washington State. I have no idea what awaits me there, except some very small and, and very pretty, very small towns and very pretty country. And summers that aren't 105 degrees. Because guess what? Texas is looking square in the face. Square in the face. Of triple digit temperatures already coming here in just a couple of days. So if you live in Texas, man, my heart goes out to you. But I've dealt with this shit for my entire life. And I kind of want to go experience a summer that, you know, doesn't want to kill me. Now, speaking of something that doesn't want to kill you. You know what doesn't want to kill you? Ethereum. You know how I know? Because them dudes can't get their shit together. Apparently today is the Ethereum testnet merge. And from what Tomer Strolite is telling me, it ain't going real well. He says in this tweet that was uh, for me 33 minutes ago, and by the way, it is 11, 12 a.m. Central Daylight Time. He says the Ethereum testnet merge is failing. 
Devs seem to be begging people to spin up miners, but running a node is too hard. You can watch the train wreck here and he gives you the live stream to the YouTube. Fair warning. If you don't want to be hit by a meteorite full of cringe, do not click that link. I made the, I made the mistake for you. I've already done the screw up. I already clicked a link and I was treated to some guy singing about B-U-I-D-L while he was playing a guitar while they're trying to figure this shit out. Uh, he started also singing about us, I don't know, please turn on your Robston minor now. I'm serious, guys. This is what I was treated to. I lasted under a minute, maybe 50 seconds, something like that. Tomer goes on to explain something that he saw because I will not watch it. Tomer apparently is going to take the punches for all of us. He says, you guys, you guys missed the part where Vitalik talked for 10 minutes and nobody could hear a word because he had a fan behind him and nobody would point it out to him. Afterward, they praised his wise words. Oh my God, this is bad. And he swears up and down that that shit happened. Somebody said, did this really happen? You know, they replied to his tweet, did this really happen? And he's like, dude, be kind, rewind. No, Tomer, I can't do it. I, I'm just gonna take, I'm just gonna take your word for it because I tried for 50 seconds to sit in on this train wreck, apparently, that's the Robston merge test net thingamajigger McBob. And again, it doesn't seem to be going well. Eh, will it happen? I don't know. They haven't been able to spin this son of a bitch up for, well, since 2015. That's when, that's when Ethereum was born. And they were always going to move to proof of stake. Why? Because they pre-mined 70 million Ether. And they gave it to themselves and their good friends. So the minute proof of stake goes live, your transactions will only be authorized by a very small group of people that basically hold all the Ethereum or all the Ether. What does that sound like? That sounds exactly like what we already have. And this is why I Bitcoin. Now, PayPal is apparently going to Bitcoin. Well, they're already Bitcoining, but apparently some news is broken. And Sean Amick uh, is going to tell us about it from Bitcoin Magazine. PayPal now allows Bitcoin transfers to external wallets. Yeah, I wonder for how long before they get the whole AML, KYC shit going on. PayPal, a financial services giant, has enabled customers to now send, receive, and transfer Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies between wallets and exchanges. The financial services company noted in the release that this has been the most consistently requested feature since it began allowing users to purchase Bitcoin on its platform in 2020. Now, whether customers choose to send their Bitcoin to an exchange, hot wallet, or hardware wallet, those users will now have the choice to self-custody. Quote, allowing PayPal customers the flexibility to move their crypto assets, Bitcoin and shitcoins, into, outside of, and within our PayPal platform reflects the continuing evolution of our best-in-class platform and enables customers to interact with the broader crypto ecosystem, said Jose Fernandez de Pont, Senior Vice President and General Manager, who is obviously well-trained in corpro-speak. I'm sure he wore a tie when he wrote that. 
PayPal also noted that it has been granted a bit license. Oh, uh, if it pleases the crown, may I do business in the state of New York? Anyway, bit license, a New York requirement for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency focused businesses, making the company the first to convert a conditional bit license to a permanent one. Fernandez de Pont elaborated on the company's ambitions with the license in an interview with Decrypt. Quote, the whole reason we're in crypto is because we believe a substantial portion of commerce is going to move to digital currencies, end quote. The focus on commerce, rather than operating as an exchange, allows PayPal to function without fees associated with Bitcoin transactions. Rather than being a central exchange, PayPal looks toward evolving commerce using tools like Checkout with Crypto, which allows users to interact with millions of merchants worldwide using the Bitcoin. So there you go. PayPal finally bit the bullet and is going to allow people to move their Bitcoin and apparently shit coins off of the Bitcoin or the uh, PayPal platform. Uh, like I said, you know, how long is that going to last before they start going, well, buddy boy, you're going to have to tell us the, uh, <clears throat> you're going to have to tell us a bit more about yourself and, you know, we're going to have to step up the AML KYC functionality for you to actually get your, uh, your shit off of our, off of our platform. Uh, if it's not happening now, just wait. It will eventually sometime in the very near future. You won't be able to shake a stick and or even look at your Bitcoin without some kind of permission slip being written by the teacher. So whatever. And that whole bit license thing, for fuck's sake, are we still doing this? Arjit Sarkar is up next from Cointelegraph with IMF recommends eco-friendly CBDCs and non-proof-of-work mechanisms for payments. Gee, I wonder why. Hmm. An international monetary fund study on energy consumption has revealed the importance of design choices within the crypto ecosystem to build an environmentally friendly mainstream payment system. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got to pause. We've been at this for 12 years. For 12 years. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until, see, we had that run up in 2017 to $20,000 per Bitcoin, okay? And then it immediately crashed. And, and honestly, I'm starting to realize that I am actually thankful for that particular crash because it took the heat off of Bitcoin for a long time. And it just, it like everybody, IMF, World, you know, the, the WEF, IMF, UN, whoever, governments around the world were pointing at us and laughing and while they were laughing at us, what they weren't doing was taking this shit seriously. Now, even though we have crashed to the, the tweens of $29,000 and $30,000 per Bitcoin, that crash has not elicited the same reaction from worldwide forces. Uh, we are squarely in their sights. And IMF is now saying that, oh, they've conducted a study and apparently they're smarter than 12 years of history, so let's find out what this study says. In the study, titled Digital Currencies and Energy Consumption, the IMF examines the energy consumption of crypto assets based on their distinct design elements to evaluate the ideal mechanisms for developing central bank digital currencies. Good luck. Sharing the groundwork 
For policy discussions around the environmental impacts of digital currencies, the IMF recommends moving away from proof-of-work-based distributed ledger technology applications, adding, quote, in particular, Bitcoin. The best-known application of this type is estimated to consume as much energy, about 144 terawatt-hours per year. Although scalability solutions reduce the energy cost per transaction, they do not reduce the overall energy spending, end quote. And that quote is completely wrong. They have no idea how this works. And the hubris the IMF has will be their undoing. They, don't, they know they don't know what the fuck's going on, but they're going to keep on plowing ahead because by God, they're the IMF. And that hubris will take their train right off the edge of the cliff because they're not looking at this properly. They don't understand that the tracks that they've laid out before themselves are going to run right off the edge of the Grand Canyon. And I'm not going to stop them. However, the international organization acknowledged the high energy efficiency brought about by non-proof-of-work permission crypto assets when compared to the traditional financial system. Quote, the potential of non-proof-of-work permission crypto assets to reduce energy consumption relative to the existing payment system comes about from energy savings on both core processing architectures and user payment means. End quote. The IMF recommends that central banks design CBDCs with the explicit goal to be environmentally friendly. Are you going to stop dropping, you know, bombs all over the place to, you know, on countries that don't want to fuck with your money? You're going to stop, you know, throwing out 10,000 rounds per minute out of a, what is it, a GAO-8 that's made out of, you know, depleted uranium and just dropping them like depleted uranium rounds like they're just raining from the sky did you know that the last nuclear war that we had was afghanistan and iraq wherever it was that we had the gal 8 and when i mean the gal 8 that's the big gatling gun that does like ten thousand rounds per minute it's made by either i think it's made by general electric of all people in the world i mean it's a son of a bitch and gun and that's what they put in the a10 warthogs and a couple of other places but shoots depleted uranium rounds. And it's been littered all over the Middle East. It's nuclear. That's nuclear material. It has a decay rate. It is not good to pick up and play with. I'm just, I'm just saying, man. What's environmentally friendly about any of the systems that have come before Bitcoin? What is environmentally friendly about ripping whole villages apart, whether you're United States or Russian or Ukrainian, because the Ukrainians also have bombed parts of shit and have left families destroyed. Fuck all these people. Fuck all of them, because I don't consider any of them as patriots of their particular countries, because they are patriotic to the IMF, the World Economic Forum, how they were hypnotized into believing the bullshit of Klaus Schwab is beyond my reckoning, but I don't care because this report is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It goes through the same thing. I'm not even going to read the rest of it because it's like, oh, it's something about 47 terawatts an hour and proof of stake is better <coughs> and CBDCs. And it has nothing at all to do with their concern about the environment. How do I know? Do you have any idea what kind of environmental damage is done simply by a naval fleet sailing across the ocean? 
you have any idea? Because I kind of don't, but I'm, you know, I've heard stories from people saying you have literally no idea how much carbon we're actually emitting into the atmosphere when we just go on a cruise, when we go on patrol. Is it worth it? Is the CBDC worth it? How much energy is Bitcoin actually using? What kind of energy is it? And does it leave depleted uranium rounds all over the Middle East? No, it actually doesn't. Bitcoin could possibly fix it by people getting enough money all of a sudden to buy protective suits and they go out and they pick up said uranium and maybe sell it to nuclear fissile uh, energy generation companies. I don't know. And they get paid in Bitcoin. I, I don't know. I'm just saying this is all bullshit. But the IMF, central banks, World Economic Forum, they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. I don't know how to combat it except to call it out every time that I see it. So with that said, we're done with the IMF crap. They're parroting the exact same shit that everybody else does all the time. And it leads to a bit of burnout. It really does. Leads to a bit of burnout. And it just so happens that Reist Simjanovsky and Scott Dunbar have written a piece for Bitcoin Magazine entitled Bitcoin is the answer to financial burnout. Let's see what this is about. Part one, uh, anyone gonna clean up this financial mess? In 2002, the Long Island, New York rock band, Taking Back Sunday, released a song entitled You're So Last Summer. A section of the long syrics, uh, song's lyrics state, the truth is you could slit my throat and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. The song references personal relationships. However, I, and this is wrist talking here, please don't take this perspective out on Dr. Dunbar or Bitcoin Magazine, view the lyrics directly correlated to fiscal policy and the subsequent carnage and destruction they orchestrate. In Keynesian economics, big banks, irresponsible corporate leadership, over-leveraged hedge fund managers, and unscrupulous politicians habitually slit the throats of American consumers and then wait for the masses to apologize for bleeding on their taxpayer-funded shirts. This apology typically arrives in a federal bailout for their greed, stupidity, or arrogance. Quantitative easing <clears throat> benefits big money. So will quantitative tightening. They always win. Let's relive the 2008 global financial crisis for a moment. Remember, this was the event that triggered corporate bailouts during a time in which the American unemployment rate neared 10%. The Treasury dispersed $441.8 billion of the $700 billion taxpayer-funded bailout. A decade later, in 2018, the Treasury had put $442.7 billion back into this fund after making a $900 billion profit. How in the world did the Treasury profit during this horrific economic climate? The federal government literally scooped up shares of corporations, companies that taxpayers would eventually bail out. The shares, or the stock, purchased were at bankruptcy level prices, i.e. pennies on the dollar. The Treasury then offloaded those shares when the stock prices inflated and in many instances directly sold back to individuals who funded the bailout in the first place. God, what a mess. BlackRock borrowed billions at nearly 0% interest, purchased homes 
with the gigantic loans all across the United States priced out millions of potential homeowners and indentured an entire generation to a lifetime of monthly rental payments or homelessness. Again, the entire process was bankrolled by taxpayers, none of whom saw any benefit. Instances such as the 2008 financial crisis revealed that loose fiscal policy, nepotistic leadership, and robber baron corporate mentality negatively impact the daily lives of regular individuals. This negative atmosphere is felt across the world as markets have become globally integrated. The U.S. dollar peg or status as reserve currency equates to any American financial crisis becoming a global financial crisis. Yeah, we call that contagion. U.S. inflation at 8% means that the EU will print at least an 8% rate soon enough and so on and so forth. Is there a better way, a, a solution to mitigate this exhausted and worn out financial mentality? Enter Bitcoin. Bitcoin success is, in part, a byproduct of an exhausted consumer base which seeks to put their faith and trust into an alternative system. We would propose that taxpayers are burned out as a result of the habitual financing of ineptitude and greed. The topic of burnout has flooded researcher projects over the past few decades, including but not limited to the fields of work, family, and faith. We want to explore burnout from another perspective, finance. Specifically, we want to apply a working definition of burnout to financial arenas, classical and current, in order to attempt to explain why some Bitcoiners adopted BTC and why many may never return to the system that burned them out. We will conclude with how Bitcoin remedies a broken monetary system and in the same vein, how a resulting mass adoption of Bitcoin addresses or addresses financial burnout nationally and internationally. Part two, defining burnout. Malash Shafuli and Leiter defined burnout as, quote, a prolonged response to chronic emotional and interpersonal stressors on the job, end quote. This same definition could be applied and adapted to financial burnout as well for consumers. A proposed definition might resemble something, something along the lines of, <clears throat> quote, financial burnout can be defined as a prolonged response to chronic monetary stressors, end quote. We would suggest the proverbial slitting of consumers' throats and the subsequent waiting for apologies via bailouts fits our proposed definition of a chronic monetary stressor. Monetary stressors are emotional tensions related to our finances and financial performance. You can experience this right now by asking yourself if you currently have enough money to retire at the age of 60 and if you're over 60 by asking yourself, how am I doing financially? These simple questions can lead to a plethora of overwhelming sub-questions. What if the market crashes? What if inflation continues to increase? Why is my grocery basket less full? Why is gas so expensive? Should I lower the risk tolerance of my portfolio? Am I diversified enough? Can I invest and still afford college for my kids? Could my wealth be confiscated? How can I invest for the future when I can't even cover the cost of the present? If you're not already burned out, you might be on your way. According to research conducted over the past few decades, burnout is comprised of three distinct dimensions, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a lack of personal accomplishment. Do any of these dimensions resemble your adoption of Bitcoin? How about recent rug pulls? How many new Bitcoiners were minted during these types of events? Emotional exhaustion occurs when a person is unable to recover both physically and mentally. Have you reviewed multiple reputable sources for financial information, direction or indicators only to find they often contradict one another? 
How about that 100 plus page investment disclosure? <laughs> Which articles, authors, and advisors should you believe? <clears throat> Have you ever read an investment disclosure cover to cover? The actual process of research and validation is exhausting. Never mind that one should do this quarterly for every investment they hold or as homework for potential future investments. Of course, as the market changes, there is a never-ending barrage of solicitation. This exhaustion can lead to depersonalization and addiction. We propose that the barrage and solicitation are nothing more than financial pornography at this point. Depersonalization, also known as cynicism, takes place when a person takes a cold, hard view of his or her work and the individuals in the work environment. Taking the example in the previous paragraph, we may become cynical of all financial sources and push them away. You can also witness this cynicism any moment of the day on Twitter. Cue the cynicism of individuals who have had their throats slit by the system and are now refusing to apologize for bleeding on somebody's shirt. Or ones who have witnessed this and have vowed to save others from said slaughter. We look forward to the anti-throat slitting financial meme someday in the near future. Greg Zaj. <clears throat> we propose, sorry. We propose that Bitcoin protects your financial neck. Next, lack of personal accomplishment refers to an individual's inefficacy in the workplace. In other words, the work performance diminishes. In finance, this may result from doing exactly what the experts suggested, only to have a 401k implode prior to retirement, a once guaranteed pension face insolvency or witnessing inflation whittle away one's purchasing power. In the previous paragraph, we touched on how exhaustion can lead to depersonalization and how this depersonalization may lead to the distrust of once trusted financial sources. These dimensions, from our perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, play a role in why many consumers are turning their backs on traditional finance, legacy banking, and mass media news anchors. <laughs> Ironically, research even exists where finance professionals have experienced burnout themselves and not just their clients. Apparently, even some of those that have been tasked with the throat slitting are coming to their moral senses. Research has also been conducted in the fields of faith, and they're not alone. One would begin to assume that humans are being burned out in a variety of ways, and as such, the dimensions of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a lack of personal accomplishment reach well beyond even what academia suggests is significant. Society, from our perspective, is burned out with the games financial institutions and their cronies have played for far too long. However, no alternatives existed until Bitcoin. Part 3. Bitcoin Fixes Finance <clears throat> beginning in 2009. The Bitcoin protocol slowly and methodically has provided an alternative for consumers in more recently countries who have experienced financial burnout with the currency legacy system. From simple aspects of brick and mortar banks being closed on nights and weekends to rejected business loans, embarrassingly low interest rates on investments, or countries unwilling to surrender sovereignty, Bitcoin fixes finance. The only throats that potentially get slit by the Bitcoin protocol are those who may have been holding bloody knives in the past. In an employment field, when one experiences burnout, they can seek employment at a competitor or even outside their current area of expertise. In a legacy financial system, no alternatives ever existed, you guessed it, until Bitcoin. If one didn't want to own real estate, then they could own stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. Perhaps they could purchase futures contracts 
or short stocks that they despised. But in the end, they were all interconnected with a legacy system. Countries pegged to the U.S. dollar were in the same predicament, only on a larger scale. There was no escape. Even the gold and silver bugs eventually had to exchange their physical bullion for fiat. We would propose that what we're witnessing is the first financial turnover in human history. <clears throat> a systemic chain change where consumers, clients, countries, etc. have a viable and non-correlated alternative to an entire ecosystem that has burned them out. This must be horrifying for the legacy financial system and its stakeholders. In our definition of financial burnout, we proposed that the culprit was a prolonged response to monetary stressors. These stressors might be articulated by Bitcoin adopters as frustration with inflation, deflation, retirement planning, a lack of corporate ethics, currency manipulation, quantitative easing, a distrust with political entities, or something else entirely, like habitually having your financial throat slit and then being forced to apologize for bleeding on a politician's shirt might be included here. In spite of everything, Bitcoin provides an opportunity to completely extract oneself from the financial stressors and protect an individual's financial throat. <clears throat> Bitcoin hodlers have a different and unique mindset versus those clinging to the legacy system. And as a result, while prices fluctuate versus fiat currencies, Bitcoiners simply accumulate more. When the Bitcoin price drops versus fiat, hodlers accumulate additional Bitcoin with each purchase. And as they add Satoshis, they habitually reassure themselves that what they have is an insurance policy against reckless federal spending and immoral legacy corporate leadership. Bitcoin hodlers relish when Bitcoin prices fall. They don't panic. They accumulate more. Again, this must be horrifying for a legacy system. Why aren't the regular people selling like we want them to? Every forced sale of Bitcoin equates to additional Satoshis and Bitcoin being locked away in cold storage. Bitcoiners can wait a decade or more for the world to play out. In America, ele elected officials survive or perish in two to four year cycles. Dollar cost average for an advantage. Bitcoin fixes finance because the protocol isn't finance. Bitcoin doesn't have a CEO that could be brought up on corruption charges. Bitcoin doesn't have a brother-in-law who is a governor of a state. Bitcoin doesn't have an aunt who's a senator. Bitcoin doesn't have stakeholders who benefit when times are turbulent. Bitcoin simply is. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. In a world that is completely burned out, the financial arena is no different. Consumers, clients, and outsiders alike have become exhausted watching financial arenas systemically decimate a middle class of hardworking and socially supportive people. They've had enough. As the legacy system works to spread their influence into the crypto space, their intentions are clear. Terra, or Luna, UST, and the other 16,000 plus centralized projects are not worth your financial attention. We recommend against exposing your financial throat to these fiscal butchers. We propose that as financial markets continue to melt down, as CEOs continue to make mistake after mistake, as politicians continue to plunder the coffers of their constituency, and as another proverbial financial throat gets slit, every event will burn out another person or country. That person or entity will seek an alternative. Bitcoin is that alternative. The Bitcoin ecosystem welcomes individuals who have had their personal accomplishments stolen. 
Individuals who are emotionally exhausted. Sovereign countries who no longer want to bend the knee or kiss the ring. Individuals who have been depersonalized by a legacy system designed to indenture them. And Bitcoin keeps their shirts clean and necks safe in the process. Well, depending on who you are. Stay safe out there. Again, suicide and violence are not the answer. Holy shit, I loved that one and I got nothing to say, but let's run the numbers. It's 420! Yep, that's right. Gasoline, literally 420. $4.20 after a 1.1% rise in prices. Other flammable liquids are likewise on fire. West Texas Intermediate, 2.2% to the upside, coming in at $122.04. Brent North Sea, also up 2.36%, coming in at $123.42. And natural gas swinging for the fences at three and a quarter to the upside, $9.60 per thousand cubic feet. Holy smokes. Peter Schiff, I don't know if he's actually happy, but his pet rock got a boost but only by 0.39%, $1,859.40 for gold. Silver is down scant to $22.15. Platinum is up a quarter. Copper is up almost a fifth of a point. And palladium is sinking 1.62% to the downside. Agricultural futures are mostly mixed. Uh, biggest winner today is going to be cotton, 3.11% to the upside followed by corn, of course, 0.92% to the upside. Wheat, however, has taken a tumble by three quarters of a point. Now, Dow down a third of a point. S&P down over a half a point. NASDAQ down over a third of a point. S&P mini down 1.27%. I don't think anybody can figure out. I don't think the plunge protection team is gonna be very effective pretty much forever now. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but it just, it doesn't look like they're able to keep this son of a bitch under control. It just, it just doesn't. I had, like commodity prices and energy prices are soaring and people who are invested in the indices via their 401k are getting fucking hammered. They're getting fucking hammered. And that was, this is exactly the piece that we were reading right before this segment of the show financial burnout causing depression even if it's a slow bleed man it's like oh well you know a third of a point here and a third of a point there but when it's continuously going down and prices are that you have to you, you shit you gotta buy is not is continuously going up but when it's going, when, when that shit's going up at the angle, at the tangent angle that this shit is rising and the almost imperceptible slow bleed of what's going, you know, what can happen in the legacy financial markets as far as your savings is concerned, when you get that dichotomy going on and you see the bleed and then you see the spike and you're like, there's, there's no fucking hope. That's what that article's talking about. It's hopeless. People are hopeless. There is hope. It's called Bitcoin, and it's also called a couple of other things. One of the things is, you know what else this could be, could be called? 
Let's see, what did I do this morning? I put up something this morning on Twitter. See if I can find it again. Oh, yeah, I retweeted a picture. Or I tweeted out a picture from a simple Jack Cap says, and it's got the meme of, you know, that the guy that blinks. He's like, you know, it's that face. And it's like somebody says something stupid and they throw up the meme of that red-haired guy and he just he's kind of like looking and then he just blinks and it's like, whatever. Well, sometimes people make a meme out of him being like God in the sky with God rays coming out and clouds behind him and shit. That's this picture, right? The tweet says, my hunter-gatherer ancestors watching me format Excel spreadsheets for 12 hours a day just so I can have high blood pressure, a receding hairline, crippling depression, and an entry-level Rolex by age 30. That's the kind of shit that causes this. Those kind of expectations. It's not that you shouldn't want something. It's like, is this what you want? Does that even sound like something that you, like if you were a store, if you owned a store and you're the proprietor and you're putting stock on the shelves that you hope people would buy, would you put that shit on the shelf and put a price tag on it? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because it's bullshit. It's bullshit. So many Bitcoiners that I know, that I've talked to either in person, through DMs. Do you know how many of them are like, didn't used to give a shit about soil and land and now they want land? It's amazing. You know why? It's not because they want to get away from the zombie hordes, y'all. That's, you know, it's like there's not going to be some kind of meteor in the sky that turns everybody into a a mindless freak that just walks around going brains, brains. No, the media's already done that. The media has already done that. But that's really, I don't think that that's the, the, the pivotal reason. Because before Bitcoin, that used to be the reason that people wanted to get out of the cities. They just didn't want to be around the zombie hordes. Because they saw them for what they were. Now that there's Bitcoin, it's like, oh shit. None of this other stuff that I thought mattered matters. And I just want to be away from it. Financial burnout is real. That, by, by the way, that financial burnout uh, article is from Bitcoin Magazine as of today. Go look for it if you want to read it for yourself. I highly recommend that you read it over again. And start looking to see just how close to the fire you may really be. Now, now, back to the numbers. Bitcoin, $30,496 after 939,000 BTC have traded hands in the last 24 hours. That's 39,000 BTC on average every hour. 3.5 BTC is the average transaction value. The median transaction value holding at 0.019 BTC or 571 bucks. Block times are still to this day as they were yesterday. Hideously low at 8 minutes, 19 seconds. 0.069 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 12 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And after a 7.37% jump in hash rate, we are at just below 250 exahashes per second. So no mining death spiral today. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge at eight United States pennies. Remember when it was at 14 and 17? Yeah, I remember that too. I also remember when it was 55 cents per doge. And that's when I, that's when I sold my bag. I, I, I really, I know, I know you guys are pointing at me and laughing. Is Yeah, shit coiner. Everybody was a shit coiner. But I honestly, I just like, I had everything on a ledger. I didn't even look at shit. 
for a while until Elon Musk opened his stupid ass mouth and I realized that, oh shit, Doge is going to pump. And I had promised my wife, I said, look, when Doge hits, a, and this was again, when I was a shit coiner, before I knew better, and I, I told I told my wife, I was like, oh, you got this much Dogecoin. And she's like, how much is it worth? And I'm like, pennies, <laughs> it's pennies, it's worth pennies. She's like, and we laughed about it, but she was like, why do you have it? And I go, because it's cute. You know, it's a little doggy coin. It's, it's cute. Even then I was already going, you know, honestly, Bitcoin's the only answer here. So I didn't touch it. I didn't, I had like Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. I had like, I ended up going, oh shit, I forgot I had this shit coin and this shit coin because I, I, I just, I didn't look at them. And once I really fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, that's all I gave a shit about. And then Doge hit, you know, 70, 70 cents. By the time I got all my shit straight, it had fallen to 55 cents and I sold the whole fucking bag. I'm like, look, if some idiot out there wants to take a haircut of, oh, I don't know, I guess I, whoever it is that, that bought my bag is taking a pretty good haircut. I mean, you know, bought them at 55 cents and it's now eight cents. Congratulations, son. You bought my bag. <laughs> now, Clark Moody's dashboard. There is a scant 657 transactions waiting on one block to clear. We have $577.9 billion market cap, which is, ooh, holy shit, 4.72% of gold's market cap. And if we so choose, we may purchase 16.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 61,792.18 of, and 9,000, 9,000, 3,971.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $120.4 million, being run over 17,149 nodes that we know about, sporting 84,148, I guess, public payment channels, because there are private payment channels that probably not going to show up on this. And 71.8% of all of that is being run over TOR's 12,123 associated lightning nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Yikes, welcome to part two of the news that you can use. My coffee is cold. Ain't nothing nothing more terrible than strong coffee that's cold. Ugh. Ugh. Cosmos. Cosmos-based DeFi exchange, Osmosis. Yeah, it's been hit by a $5 million exploit. DeFi can't be stopped being hacked. Hello, Sujith Samraj has this one for Decrypt.co. Osmosis, a decentralized exchange built using Cosmos SDK, has been exploited, draining its liquidity pools for approximately $5 million. Developers have halted the Osmosis blockchain to prevent further damage. Oh, for fuck's sake. The decentralized exchange was stopped at roughly 10.49 p.m. Eastern today at a block height of who gives a shit, according to an announcement from MintScan, an Osmosis block explorer. The exploit happened just two blocks before the halt. Quote, liquidity pools were not completely drained, tweeted the team after discovering the exploit. Devs are fixing the bug, scoping the size of losses, likely in the range of $5 million, and working on recovery. Oh, yeah. A user on Reddit warned the Osmosis developers about the critical bug in their decentralized exchange. The Reddit thread was later removed by the Osmosis moderator. According to the user, if you provide liquidity to liquidity pools, 
you would then be able to withdraw 50% more than your deposit without any bonding period, a period over which the funds are locked. On-chain transactions show how one user repeatedly exploited this precise bug. They began the exploit with just 26 Osmo tokens and made 13 more Osmo tokens in their first transaction. One instance shows how they were able to provide the liquidity of 101,230 Osmo in a transaction made six hours ago. Then, just 30 seconds later, the exploiter exited their position with 151,000 Osmo tokens, pocketing 50% profit. Then, they then, they then repeated this process 30 times. This is why Bitcoin each time increasing his holdings by 50%. Hey, did you just misgender that hacker? Dude, don't do that. The wallet ranked, it raked in roughly 70,000 of Cosmos's Natum Atom tokens out of the process by swapping Osmo to Atom, which is valued at approximately, you know, $600,000. They also transferred some of their Osmo profits to another address to repeat the same process. <laughs> the user repeated the processes Pro or the process with numerous accounts. All told, the attacker made roughly $5 million from using this bug. Total value locked on the Osmosis blockchain dropped 1% over the past 24 hours. TVL currently stands at $212.77 million, according to data from DeFi Llama. Osmo is down 6.58% over the past day and trades at $1.07. The native token hit an all-time high of $11.00. In March of 2022, according to data from CoinMarketCap, and has since, of course, shed over 90% from that high in the last three months. This is never going to stop, and I've told you this. I've been telling you this shit ever since the summer before, well, not this summer, not last summer, the summer before that. When SushiSwap took the fuck off and people started aping into everything under the sun, that's when I started warning you. I'm like going, dude, this is, this is not going to end well. And it has never ended well. So many people have been raked over the coals. Again, go back to financial burnout. DeFi is, is a plethora of people that have been in an amusement park, stuck in an amusement park, like think Disney for years they don't I, i'm getting the feeling that at one point or another a vast majority of them not all there will always be those people that just can't do anything else but there's gonna be a lot of people that just leave they feel imprisoned they feel burned out they they've lost a lot of money you know the only thing that kept them going kept them going was making some money but they lost that too they're getting rug pulled every day. They're eating the same shitty food every day. They're riding the same shitty ride every day. They know where every twist and turn is. They're, they're bored. They're burned out. They're going to bail. Not all of them. This shit's not going away. And it's going to suck in new people. But the people that are exiting that system, I've seen a lot of them come to Bitcoin. More will. More will. Human rights activists take aim at privileged crypto critics in letter to Congress. I don't know what to think about this just yet, but Jesse Coglin from Cointelegraph is going to help me along. <clears throat> Human rights activists from 20 countries have submitted an open letter to the United States Congress in support of a responsible crypto policy and praising Bitcoin and stable coins as essential tools, aiding democracy and freedom for tens of millions. The letter comes just a week 
after an anti-crypto open letter was sent to Congress, purporting to be from the scientific community, but whose lead signatures included well-known crypto critics and authors from high-income democratic countries. <laughs> yeah, of course. The group of 21 activists clapping back includes people from countries that have either seen recent conflict or have otherwise unstable economies such as Ukraine, Russia, Iraq, Nigeria, Venezuela, Cuba, and even North Korea. The letter states, quote, we write to urge an open-minded, empathetic, sorry, empathetic approach toward monetary tools that are increasingly playing a role in the lives of people facing political repression and economic hardship, end quote. They add that the humanitarians and advocates of democracy who have used Bitcoin to assist at-risk people when other options have failed and wish to defend an open monetary system, the group says they have also relied on Bitcoin and stablecoins in the struggle for freedom and democracy and that tens of millions of others living under authoritarian regimes or in volatile economies also use cryptocurrencies for the same reason. Quote, Bitcoin and stablecoins offer ungated access to the global economy for people in countries like Nigeria, Turkey, or Argentina, where local currencies are collapsing, broken, or cut off from the outside world. Here's a full list of all the countries that signed. Nigeria, Russia, Senegal, Palestine, Sweden, Norway, uh, the Human Rights Foundation from the U.S., uh, the Cuban Study Group from, also from the U.S., uh, let's see, did I say Ukraine? Yeah, Ukraine, Belarus, Venezuela, Mexico, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Iraq, Togo, Cuba, North Korea, India, and net blocks from the UK. All right, so the group provided multiple instances from around the world of how cryptocurrencies are assisting people, citing examples from Cuba, Afghanistan, Venezuela, and Nigeria, which have all seen high crypto adoption due to inflation or lack of proper financial infrastructure. Cryptocurrencies further helped keep the fight against authoritarianism afloat. The group added, providing an example of the role crypto played when financial systems broke down after the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. The activists took aim at the anti-crypto letter addressed to Congress on June the 1st, supposedly backed by 1,500 computer scientists and engineers calling on Congress to avoid creating a regulatory safe haven for these risky, flawed, and unproven digital financial instruments. Yeah, right. Lead signatories include professionals or long-term crypto critics like David Girard, Molly White, and Stephen Deal. The Human Rights Coalition said that nearly all the authors of that letter are from countries with stable currencies, free speech, and strong property rights, and that they most likely haven't ever experienced hyperinflation or the cold grip of dictatorship. Quote, to most of the West, the horrors of monetary colonialism, misogynist financial policy, frozen bank accounts, exploitative remittance companies, and an inability to connect to the global economy might be distant ideas. To most of us in our communities, and to the majority of the people worldwide, they are daily realities. If there were far better solutions already in use to overcome these challenges, we would know. End quote. Ooh, shit. The campaign was organized by the crypto think tank, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, and signatories to the letter include activists from Feminist Coalition, Anti-Corruption Foundation, Belarus Solidarity Foundation, Ideas Beyond Borders, Digital Citizens Funds, and notab notably the Russian chess grandmaster and chair of the Human Rights Foundation, Gary Kasparov. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that he was chair of the HRF. I, I know, you're probably like going, really? Hey, I can't catch everything. 
the Human Rights Coalition acknowledges that proliferating crypto scams exist, but said conflating useful fintech products with these schemes is not the solution. Instead, education is needed to help people tell the difference. Quote, we hope that you and your colleagues do not craft or implement policy that hurts our ability to use these new technologies in our human rights and humanitarian work. We hope you choose a different policy path, one that allows us to save, connect, and gain freedom. And there you go. There's, there's the article. So what, now that I've you know, read this to you, okay, I get it. I get it. I do. But I mean, what's this, what's this going to do? None. I wish we had had a pleb letter written to Congress. And I guarantee you, Dieter Bob right now is rolling in his grave if he's listening to me at all. Um, I'm just saying, Dieter, listen to me. I'm just saying. A bunch of plebs get together to write a letter that basically says, fuck you, eat a bag of dicks. We're going to do what we want. We're going to build what we want, where we want. We're going to interact with whoever the fuck we want. And we don't give a shit about what you want. Signed, every pleb under the sun. That's what the letter should have actually read. So, but that would not do anything either. It's the mentality that we have to carry forward is that they're not going to stop attacking and they are going to bring real weaponry to bear, whether real guns possibly, but probably not. It's more going to be financial destruction, like like scorched earth policy only by dropping financial bombs rather than bombs loaded with depleted uranium, right? So be that as it may, we got other fish to fry. 3IQ is not helping. Well, maybe they are helping because it is a spot Bitcoin ETF, but it's still, well, it's over there in Australia because apparently everybody but the United States has a spot Bitcoin ETF, but it's still not doing anything because apparently you have to be in the United States for it to make a damn difference. So if you ain't got no spot on your commodity in the United States, it just doesn't matter. But yet here we are with Sean Amick from Bitcoin Magazine, 3IQ Corporation, the largest and oldest digital asset investment fund manager in Canada has launched a new Bitcoin exchange traded fund. Oh, this isn't, oh, wait a minute. Nope, it is in Australia. Fund manager in Canada has launched a new Bitcoin exchange traded fund on CBOE exchange in Australia via a press release from the company. CoinShares Bitcoin Feeder ETF this on the CBOE, the ticker is BT3Q, will give investors access to the spot price of Bitcoin through what 3IQ refers to as an underlying fund. It will have the lowest fee structure among Bitcoin ETFs in Australian markets of 1.2%. 3IQ broke down the specifics of the ETF and its underlying fund on their website. In short, the fund will invest in long-term Bitcoin holdings purchased from exchanges and counterparties vetted by the company and does not plan on using derivatives. This means the ETF will serve akin to a mutual fund of spot Bitcoin holdings. JP Morgan Australia Limited will act as a subcustodian. The fund will derive its value from the MVIS Crypto Compare Bitcoin Benchmark Rate Index, or the MVI BBR, which determines the average price of Bitcoin by taking 23-minute intervals and calculating the weighted average. The Trust Company Limited, a wholly owned subsidiary of Perpetual Limited, which belongs to Perpetual Group, is defined as the responsible entity and issuer of the underlying fund and will be responsible for its management operation and administration in Australia. 
Australia and the CBOE exchange <coughs> excuse me, made headlines last month with the listing of two Bitcoin ETFs, the first offerings in the country with differing structures as well. And at least one of those was another spot Bitcoin ETF in Australia. So they got two plus a bullshit derivatives on future price of Bitcoin uh, instrument. But be that as it may, it's not gonna do anything to the price of Bitcoin. You know why? Because apparently it's not in the United States. Again, think of the financial burnout. If it's not in the United States, even if it's something even if it's something that affects something like the price of, of Bitcoin, the United States still throws its weight around by not issuing a spot ETF. Then we are at the behest of the people that are using the derivative futures price ETFs that we do have, and I think we have five of them right now. We're at the behest of them continuously fucking with the markets. The only reason I want to spot Bitcoin ETF now is to balance that. That's it. That's the only reason why. You need a spot to be able to balance the derivative bullshit products. And honestly, I, in, in my deepest belief, those products should not even exist. For housing, for Bitcoin, for shit coins, for anything. Betting on the price of something is not adding value to the world. It is not a product. It is not a service. And if you're going, but price discovery, bullshit, the market can make its own fucking decision about price discovery. I don't need some suited up, pencil necked geek sitting behind 12 computer screens, manipulating every fucking thing under the sun because he got marching orders to do so. Keep the price down, for love of God. We didn't get in at, at the price that we really needed. And holy shit, man, this, the world's burning down. Keep it under 30, man. Do your best. Keep it under 30. Now, we didn't have this problem. We did not have this problem with the 2017 price rise of Bitcoin to 20,000. That was completely organic. I'm sure some of you are pointing and laughing. I don't care. That was completely organic. As compared to this last, not the run, but the drop. There really wasn't, there, this wasn't a precipitous drop this time around coming off of its, you know, what, $69,000 price. Because Elon tried that and there was, a, there was a fairly precipitous drop. And then it came back up to 69. And for no apparent reason whatsoever, Lockdowns are, are starting to lift and, you know, the world's coming out of, you know, out of one level of stupidity still in, you know, still on, I wish Dante had wrote the, the nine circles of stupid instead of hell, but we're up one, we were up, coming up one circle of stupid. And for no apparent reason, except for the installations of not one, not two, not three, not four, but five over the course of a year and a half, ETFs that were based on the futures price of Bitcoin. This is a casino. It's not a true price. We do not know the true price of Bitcoin right now. I'll tell you one thing, it's a shit ton higher than 30,000. It's a shit ton higher than 69. Exactly what? I don't know and I ain't gonna call it, but I know that this is part, the price and the things that we're experiencing right now is all part of the legacy financial system losing their mind. Everything is going to shit around them and they can't control anything. Even the stuff that they had built to control, to cause these, what, just 
Name some bullshit X. There was something that was built. Some people that were put together in a room that formed a group and their, their mission was to do this X and stay in control of it. And they did the X, but all these other groups did their X, Y's and Z's too. And when you add it all up and it becomes a collective clusterfuck, then no one of these groups, since they're not talking to each other, is able to control the contagion that they've unleashed upon the world. And the ETFs that are futures-based of anything, Bitcoin or whatever, are price manipulation instruments. That's it. That's all it is. It's not to discover price. It's to plan a price. It's to keep prices down. It's to do anything that they can to make something look unattractive. Anything that is a commodity somewhere has a real base, real estate. Mortgage bond was a derivative. The actual real estate, the physical possession of the deed to the house or the house or the land or the building or the boat or whatever. Well, maybe not the boat. That's an item. You get my drift. That's real. Sure, men with guns can come and take it away from you. I get that part. But if I have a bunch of friends that are men with guns, maybe we can have a shootout and we win or at least in the short term. I don't know if it comes to that, we got bigger problems. I'm just saying that the future's bullshit is exactly that. It's bullshit and you should not want that. But since we have it and we're never gonna get rid of it, that is why we now need a spot Bitcoin ETF existent in the United States. Hey guys, if you like what I do, if you like listening to the news and hearing me rant, Consider streaming me Satoshis through Podcasting 2.0. And if you don't want to do that, then I got a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And you can sign up just a buck a month or something like that. It's not like you're going to get anything special. And I know that's stupid. Again, I can't market for shit, but what am I going to do? Patreon's where you go when you want to like try to win the stupid contest. I don't do contests, which brings me to point three. If you want to support the show and you don't want to do it with fiat money and you don't want to do it with your Bitcoin, I understand that. Help me market the show. I don't know what I'm doing. If you're a marketer, if you literally have some kind of marketing experience and you're listening to the show, for the love of God, help me figure this shit out because I don't know, dude. I mean, you know, when Peter McCormick came on the scene, I did not have a podcast back then. But I saw him explode. And, you know, I was thinking about last night. I go, you know, his entire podcast exploded only after he wrote that huge long story about his woes of Bitcoin mining. I will not say that Peter McCormick sucks at what he does. He's actually quite good at what he does. And he also has to put up with a lot of shit. I know if you hate him, I get it. I kind of respect the guy. I've had a few run-ins with him on Twitter myself where I've he, he, you know, basically said, well, if you don't like what I'm doing, then stop, you know, listening to the show. And I'm like, well, oh, you know, so I've had my run-ins with there. I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the shit that he says. Doesn't matter. He's still successful, but he didn't get successful until he pinned this whole big old story. So I guess I could write a story. I don't know, maybe about a couple like, you know, surviving a bunch of death and, and suicide. I could do that, but that just seems so sad. Right. So if, if anyway, I digress. If you're a marketer, if you know anything about how to get the word out, how to do something, then help me do it. D- just, and just do it. You don't even have to ask my permission. 
As long as you don't paint rainbow dicks over my eyes, then I'm good with whatever the hell it is you do. But I do need help and I'm asking you for help. So help a brother out and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.